Jesus, we just want to thank you that we belong to you, Father. Lord, we want to thank you that you will never let us down, that you'll never let us go, that you've promised us, promised that you'll never leave or forsake us, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you all you're going to do, Jesus. But also thank you for this moment now, Lord. Not just the, the past or the future, but for this present now, Lord Jesus. For where we are with you and where you are with us. And thank you that there are no barriers. There are no bars. There's nothing withholding us from your presence, Lord. And there's nothing that you're withholding from us. Thank you for your love, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just going to pray for Nathan. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was some American friends. And they were talking about chicken nuggets. And they were talking about how when they were children in America, um, chicken nuggets came with honey. You could get a little pot of honey and you dipped your chicken nuggets in them, which sounds a bit weird to us, um, but to Americans it was a fine thing. And the word of God says that um, his word is like honey on our lips. And I just believe this morning there's going to be a sweetness and that um, Nathan is bringing honey to us, which is also nourishing and, and great for the run and great for the journey. So, Father, I pray now for Nathan as he brings your word, Lord. Father, that it would be a nourishment to us, that it would be a sweet, sweet word, Lord. Father, that you would anoint him and that you would anoint his words and that you would anoint our ears and our hearts to receive what you are saying to us, Lord. We receive Nathan as a, as a prophet and as someone who brings your word. And this morning, Lord, we will be nourished by the sweetness of what you say to us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> I've, uh, I've not got the best relationship with chicken nuggets because um, I love them. <laughs> and, um, you know, McDonald's chicken nuggets are the best chicken nuggets. And you can try cooking them at home. You can try and bake them. But you will never get better chicken nuggets than in McDonald's. And we're constantly there. I know I shouldn't say this. But every time I pass those golden arches, I just think of chicken nuggets. And I go in and I, every time I'll say, they'll say, oh, can I get some chicken nuggets? They say, how many? And I always get the number wrong because you're supposed to ask for a specific number. Like, I don't know, is it six and nine? And I always say 10. Oh, you can't have 10. I say, well, can I have 11? No, you can't have 11. You have to have a specific number of chicken nuggets. That always bugs me because I want 10 chicken nuggets. They won't let me have them. But you know, God never withholds anything. If you want 10 chicken nuggets, God will give you 10 chicken nuggets. The problem with McDonald's ones is you eat them and then you feel horrible afterwards. Feel awful and greasy and that's not what it's like with God. There are nuggets that God gives us that will nourish us. God says in his word, I have food you know nothing about and this food will nourish you. It will keep you going like Hussein Bolt. It will cause you to run your race with such vigor and verve that you will not be able to be stopped. And that's the kind of nourishment that I believe God wants for us today. I believe God is going to nourish us. I believe there are nuggets. I believe as Pete prophesied, there are surprises this morning for us. There are surprises this afternoon for us and I believe that the prince of peace is on his way and I believe the prince of peace is coming to kiss us awake to bring us into life and to bring us into a new adventure with him so if you have a bible with you would you turn with me please to the book of Colossians chapter 2 Colossians chapter 2 is my favorite chapter in the bible full of nuggets and I encourage you to read it in your own day, daily Bible readings, whatever you do. Colossians chapter 2 is amazing. absolutely love this, this chapter. 
And uh, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. And it says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live. There's more and we'll come to that. But let's just stop there for a minute. Let's just chew on that nugget. Continue to live. God's word to us is this. Live and continue to live. That is the very message of Jesus Christ. It's the very reason that he came. Jesus said of himself, he said, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. Life in overflow, life in excess, in recklessness, in incredibleness. That's the reason I came. And it's the reason he's been from the beginning, from the very moment that God breathed his own breath into Adam. He breathed something of himself into him. He invested his own life into Adam and his word to Adam was live and know life because Jesus is life. And in him, his life is the light of men. In the law, in, when it tells us about the law and God brings the law, he says, I leave before you today blessings and curses, life and death. There's the choice. And to make it even more obvious, he says at the end, choose life. Choose life. Choose to live. Don't just live because you'd happen to be alive, but live deliberately. Live like it's on purpose. David said of himself, I will awaken the dawn. He was the kind of man who didn't say, the dawn doesn't wake me up. I wake up the dawn. I wake up in the morning and I'm a morning person because Jesus is alive. And Jesus is alive in us. When Jesus sat down at a well with a Samaritan woman, he talks with her uh, about water. And he says, I've got water you know nothing about. And she says, give me some of this water, Jesus. I, I want to try, try this water that will never make me thirst again. And then he stands up and he says in a loud voice, because Jesus is all about the obvious. It's not Jesus who hides, it's us. And in a loud voice, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow from within you. He tells us about this living water and the source is him. There is living water within him. And as he stood by that well, he was speaking to those people about living well. And he says, living well comes from the living well. If you want to know how to live well, come to the source. Go to Jesus. I'm excited to hear that the TT will learn how to love well. This morning, we're going to focus on living well. And that comes from Jesus Christ, the source of all life. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I love that verse, and I love the way it's put uh, in the message version. It says this, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. I believe it's time to come alive. I believe that Jesus is breathing on his church. 
And I believe that there is life. He was ready and raring to go. And Jesus is just ready to breathe on us. And that breath is going to bring incredibleness, not just to us as people, but to this town. And I believe to the ends of the earth as well. And then there are three things that, uh, that are mentioned here about living well. The first one is in verse 7. He says, continue to live your lives in him, in the NIV, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in Jesus. Everything we do, every word we speak, every decision we make is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the center of it all. He is both the center and circumference. He is the all in all. He is the alpha and omega. He is the first and last. He is Jesus and he is our root. And if we are Christians here today, if we have made that decision, that decision to walk with him for the rest of our lives, then Jesus is at your root. And no matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, no matter your circumstance, know this. Jesus is at your root and he cannot be uprooted. Once for all, Jesus died. Once for all, he gave life. Once for all, Jesus is alive. As we've heard this morning, God is not dead, but Jesus is alive and he lives in us. Everything we do is rooted in Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that every word we say is a Bible quote. It doesn't mean that the only music we ever listen to is Christian music. (laughs) But what it does mean is there's this anchor in our soul. An anchor that we're free and who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we're free to enjoy our lives. We're free to live in him. But there's always this anchor that kind of holds us in. And that anchor is Jesus. And he is always there at the center of our souls. And there's two ways to know what's at your root. One way to know what's at your root is in those big moments. Those big moments of your lives. Sometimes it's those, those catastrophes that sideline you. Or those big performances that you need to prepare for. Or those fight and flight moments. It's in those moments that you discover what's in your root. And sometimes in those moments you do something, you say something, you think, oh my word, I, I didn't know that was in me. Other times you think, oh my word, I didn't know that was in me. <laughs> And it's in those moments, as Trevor spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, it's those moments where you stop and you look under the bonnet of your life and you think, right, what's at the root here? You know, yes, this is a symptom, but what's at the root? Are there roots here that aren't Christ? There are these big moments where you discover what's at your root. But you know, there's also another way that you discover your roots. And those are in the small moments, those seemingly insignificant moments, those moments between moments Those quiet times, that's where you discover also what's at your root. When you're in neutral, when you're not really doing or saying anything, what's your neutral? What's your go-to? Because if we're really honest, for some of us, it's not Jesus at the centre of it all. It's my phone is at the centre of it all. What's our default? Is it this or is it this? And I'm not judging that because phones are powerful tools. And you could do a lot. Facebook, brilliant, connecting with people. But sometimes, you know, it can take the place of something in your heart. And it's about hearts. There's nothing wrong with phones. In fact, there's a new new thing that's just come out recently called nomophobia. And I don't know if you've heard of nomophobia. um, But it's a fear of being without your mobile phone. 
And it's a diagnosable uh, fear. You can go to the doctors, you can get prescription for this. It's a real fear. And particularly, it's a fear with young people and kids. That they cannot be without their mobile phone. And they panic if they don't have it. And if they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do, check their phone. Check, is there anyone, anyone messaged me in the night? (laughs) Did I get a message at two in the morning? And some of you know, that's kind of how we live. (sighs) Check my phone. Sometimes you check your phone and there's nothing on it, but you're just looking at it. Or you're scrolling through Facebook, you're not even reading it. And it's this habit that we can get into. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But nomophobia is a real thing. I believe God wants to have Christophobia, which isn't a fear of Christ. It's a fear of the Lord. And it's a f- what the fear of the Lord is, is fear of being without him. It's a fear of, I can't live my life without Jesus. If I go another minute without thanking him, I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to get into his word. Oh man, do you know, I just realized it's been 48 hours and I haven't read my Bible. I have to read it. I have to spend some time soaking in the presence of God. That's Christophobia. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not a fear of God. It's a fear of being without him. It's a fear of, will, I, will, I, will he still be there? And God says, of course I will. And that's the beauty of it. That he will never leave us. He will never let us down. He will never give up on us. It's the promise of his word. And so that fear is never actualized. Because perfect love casts out all fear. You know, good musicians, they'll play the notes. And they'll play them really well. And they'll play to the crescendos. They'll play those notes beautifully. Great musicians play the silences. Because they understand that silence is a note in itself. And that there is music in the silence. And I believe what Dan was saying last week. That we shouldn't be afraid of silence. Both in our times of worship and in our own lives. Some of us are afraid of silence because it exposes our roots. And so we keep our lives busy. We keep our lives loud to drown out the silence. Because we're afraid of what will come out. Don't be afraid of the silence in your life. Make room for silence in your life. The problem with our modern lives is we're never bored. But in those moments of boredom come inspiration. In those moments of boredom comes the word of God. (laughs) That doesn't always come from a reading plan. Doesn't always come from, from watching someone else preach. Sometimes you just sit still with God. And there'll be times where you sit still and nothing happens. And yet something has happened. We might not feel it. We might not realize it. Something is going on in our spirits. Do not be afraid of the silences. It's in those moments that are seemingly insignificant that for a lot of you, you will hear God on the thing you've been waiting for for so many years. And you've gone to the meeting and you've expected God to speak. You've gone to the prophetic person and you've waited for the word. It'll be as as Elijah found in the whispers. As we've heard previously, it'll be in those moments where you're just sitting on the sofa. You walk into your car. You're washing up, God will speak. And you'll hear him like you've never heard him before. First point is this, root around your roots. Root around your roots. Let's find out what's there, shall we? Root around your roots and discover where's Christ and is there anything that's not Christ? And if it is, we're going to uproot it. I used to, um, (laughs) I see I used to be a gardener. That's that's embellishing a little bit. Um, there was a, uh, a guy at our church in, back in Cardiff. He was a millionaire. Um, and he had this amazing garden. Uh, absolutely amazing garden. And it, was, it spanned acres. It had the, each fish cost £500 in the pond. 
He had plants imported from Japan. It was this incredible garden. And he came up to me one day, and I think it was because my dad was very practical, and my dad still is very practical, and I'm not. But he didn't know that. I could, you know, I could teach a GCSE or I could write him a poem, but I can't plant a flower. I can't build anything. And he came up to me and he said, um, I'm looking for a gardener. Do you want to be my gardener? And I, and I thought, well, there's no way I'll do that. And he said, I'll pay you. And I said, yes, I'm a great gardener. Let's go. So I went to his house and um, I got to the, I had, a, I had a hat. So I knew I looked like a gardener, like a gardener's hat. So I had the hat. And um, I walked up to this guy and he said, right, okay, so uh, if you go to the east wing and you need to, to mow that lawn, if you uh, do this plant and, and move this plant, and then you need to power wash this area, okay, got that, off, off you go, and then walked off. And I had no clue what he just said. I'm one of those people who needs it written down. Uh, and even then, I'll need to read it five times. So I had no clue what I was doing. And if I was sensible, I would have gone back to him and said, I'm really sorry. Listen, I missed what you said there. Can we just go over it one by one? What is a petunia? I don't know what that is. Um, can you tell me where to go? Where is the East Wing? If I was sensible, I would have done that. But I didn't. <laughs> Instead, I just thought, let's just do some stuff. <laughs> Surely we'll get it right somewhere along the line. So I got the mower out and I just mowed a lawn because it looked, you know, looked like it needed mowing. So I thought that's, that's one done. I saw a hedge. I thought that hedge needs trimming. So I started to mow the hedge uh, without realizing that it was on a hill. So I had to <laughs> step it into steps. So I had a nice little pattern on the, 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 the hedge. Uh, and then I got to where all the plants were and I started to pull out all of what I thought were weeds. You know, the ones that were just dark green. <laughs> Started pulling those out. And there was some in there, you know, anything that had flowers on, I left those. Because obviously, flowers, pretty. Uh, and then I power washed the, uh, the, um, the path without closing the electric box. So all the muddy water went onto the electrics as well. And then uh, this guy, he was on a tiny little, I still remember this so, so vividly, <laughs> trauma. Uh, he was riding on a little ride-on lawnmower, just kind of rode up very slowly. And I watched his face go redder and redder as he got to me. And then when he finally got he said, what have you done? I said, what do you mean? He went, my prize flowers, what are they doing on the floor? I said, I, th- I, th- I thought they were weeds. He said, no, those are weeds. Why have you left those? I said, they've got flowers on. He went, no. And uh, do you know what? To his credit, he, he bent down with me, got on his knees, and he just started to show me how to do things. And then got to a, what was a weed, apparently. I didn't know this, because it looked nice. Didn't realize it was a weed. And he said, it's all right, because what you've done is you've just clipped the ends off of the flowers. They'll grow back. He said, when it comes to weeds, he said, weed, weeds are like sin, he said. He said, if you just clip the ends off, it'll grow back. He said, you've got to dig right into the roots and pull that thing out. And he pulled out this huge root system that had come with it. And then I'd learned something along the way. And I think that's the thing with our lives sometimes. We, Jesus is at the center. Jesus is deeply rooted. And over time, we let other things in. Not necessarily sinful things, just things into our lives. And some of them have flowers on. And we think, looks all right, actually. And we leave it there. And then someone comes along and says, what are these weeds doing here? We need an uprooting. You know, I love the story of the kings in the Bible. If you read the stories of the kings, this same pattern happens. A king comes along and this king is incredible and he extends the kingdom. They defeat the enemies and it always ends with this. But he didn't tear down the Asherah poles. And the Asherah poles were these idols that were just left um, in, in the area. And then another king comes along and he starts extending the kingdom and he'll do something great and he'll kill a great enemy. And then, but he didn't get rid of the Asherah poles. And this happens again and again. And I wonder if it just became part of the furniture. 
You know, like when you're doing your house up and, and there's a bit of a patch that's not been painted and you don't even see that anymore. These Asherah poles are there. It took this young king, Josiah, I think eight years old, this young king, comes along. First thing he says is, what are they doing there? What, the Asherah poles? Yeah. Oh, they've, they've been here for generations. Those great kings before you, those, you know, adult kings, they left them there. He goes, well, what, tear those down. I, you, what? You want to tear? Yeah. First thing he does, tear down the Asherah poles. Sometimes we need fresh eyes. Eyes of youth to go, hang on a minute. What is this doing here? Can I encourage you to invite people into your lives with fresh eyes to say, hang on a minute. What's this? Not in a way of judging, but in a way of encouraging to say, this shouldn't be here. And again, these are good things sometimes. Church things sometimes. That fresh eyes come along and say, there's something that... Oh, I was going to dance. <laughs> Just thought about um, baby Josiah. And I believe there's power in that boy. And I believe he is going to be one of those people who's going to have prophetic eyes, as we all know. But he's going to have eyes of freshness. And he's going to look at things, even at six, seven, eight years old, like King Josiah. And he's going to say, what's that? And he's not just going to see things that need to be uprooted. He's going to see things and say, this needs to be here. Watch that boy. Root around your roots. Look at things with fresh eyes. Invite people in to your life. The second part says, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. You know God wants you strong. He does. God wants you to be strong. And it is, the, it is not just possible, it's inevitable for the Christian to be strong. Even if you don't feel it, there is strength in you because the power of Jesus lives in you. And God wants to strengthen you today. And for some of you, that's your surprise today. You are going to receive strength today. Strengthen your body, strengthen your mind, strengthen your spirit and your soul. And there are two ways, again, that we can experience the strength that comes from God. One way is the way that David outlines, which is strengthen yourself in the Lord. Talks about this a lot with David. If you read the story of King David, it often says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And the way he did that was there was many different ways. One was through song. And we know David was a prolific songwriter and singer. But he often spoke to himself. And if you read the stories of the, uh, that he, about him or the songs that he wrote, he often says things like, my soul will say, wake up my soul. I will do this. He gives himself a good talking to. And there are times in our lives where strength comes from speaking to ourselves. You give yourself a good talking to. You say, hang on a minute. This isn't me. What's the, this isn't what I should be doing. I need to do this. And sometimes literally speaking it out is what we need to do. Because there's power in the spoken word. The Bible says faith comes through hearing. And hearing of the word of God. There is something when you hear yourself say something, it will wake something up in you. And for some of us, that's how strength comes. We go, hang on a minute, I need this, I shouldn't this, 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 this. We start speaking to ourselves. But there's another way we receive strength, and it's through the community. Through the community, we receive strength. Because it's strengthened in the faith. It's not strengthened in my faith, strengthened in your faith, strengthened in the faith. There's something shared about our faith. Because we are a community. We are church. And it's not just my faith. 
My faith has been inherited from spiritual fathers, borrowed from spiritual brothers and sisters, shared out with spiritual sons and daughters. There's something shared about our faith, that when we come together, there is power amongst us because there is a shared faith amongst us. And so strength comes from the community, particularly, I'm going to say, through prophetic people. The job of prophetic people, and we're all prophetic people, but some of you know there's a, there's a gifting on you that you're drawn to that. The job of prophetic people is to encourage and strengthen. That's the primary purpose of the prophetic ministry, to strengthen and encourage. Not to judge, not to perform, not to speak really, really well, or to be very, very accurate with words and knowledge. The purpose of the prophetic ministry is simply to encourage And if you are encouraging people, congratulations, you are prophetic. That's what it means. And for many of us prophetic people, and I'm speaking to myself here, I believe God is saying, come alive. It's time to come out of the caves. It's time to start encouraging. And for some of us, we think it's been so long. I can't do it. That person does it better. I'm not really sure anymore. Just begin encouraging. Nice hat. Prophetic. (laughs) I love I love your look. (laughs) You know, what you did back there was really cool. (laughs) Prophetic. It starts there. And actually, for some people, that's far more powerful than tomorrow morning, you're going to receive a phone call at nine o'clock and it's going to be your brother John. Sometimes it's just, do you know what? You look good. (laughs) That's prophetic. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He just strengthened and encouraged liberally. He wasn't worried about his reputation. And I love that about Jesus. In fact, sometimes I think it does the opposite. Not worried about his reputation. He just goes around blessing, encouraging, strengthening. That is the nature of the church. Strengthen and encourage. And it says, as you were taught. You know, I believe it's time to some, for some of us to go back to those old teachings. To go back to your old notebooks. The ones, some of you, that's in the attic, that's in a box or on a shelf somewhere. I believe there are nuggets of notes that you've made from the past. Some of you will find a a notebook and it'll be 1992 Tony Ling and he'll he'll have said something somewhere and you'll go, whoa, those old cassettes, because some of these go back to cassette days, which I don't even remember, but apparently they were around. Old CDs, old teachings, there's life and newness in the old. Second point is this, dust off yourself, your friends and your old notebooks. Dust off yourselves, your friends your old notebooks. Dust off yourselves. Dust yourself off and say, I do not belong on the shelf. For some of us, I know there's a song, um, Come Away With Me. And there's a line in it that always makes me cry. And it's, um, it's never too late. You know, it's not too late for you. Because some people feel, oh, it's too late for me now. No, I'm, I'm older now. Or, oh, I'm established in this now. I, I'm too caught up in this. It is never too late. It's never too late. Dust yourself off. It's time to come alive. And dust off your friends. Encourage and strengthen each other. And then dust off those old notebooks. Start rooting through them and finding the things that God has a nugget or a treasure or a key for your future. And it's found in the past. It's never too late. There's life there yet. And finally, in verse 7, it says, overflowing with thankfulness. And this is huge overflowing with thankfulness. A thankful heart is so powerful and it will actually be uh, powerful for health as well, I believe. I believe there are many health issues that can be resolved through thankfulness. 
Because bitterness, unforgiveness, fear, all these things can cause our bodies to become as they're not supposed to be. Thankfulness, gratefulness, gratitude just flushes it out. And there's power in, again, speaking out thankfulness. The word there, thankfulness, is Eucharistia, which means grateful language. It doesn't mean grateful thinking. It means grateful language. When you speak out your thanks, it does something to you. When the first thing you do in the morning isn't reach for your phone and check your messages, but the first thing you do in the morning is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Wow, thank you for what's going to happen today. Thank you that... I've, I've woke up with, with the people in my house who are in my house. Thank you, Jesus, for the place I'm going to work today and the, the potential that's there. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, it's a beautiful sunny day. I can't wait to get out there. Thank you, Jesus. It's raining. Oh, well, at least the crops will get nice and wet. But you wake up thankful. Wake up thankful and your whole day will change because you've started it in the way you mean to go on. And again, there are two ways of doing this. One is kind of formulaic with gratitude. And we teach our kids this, where you say, say thank you when someone gives you something. And that's a good habit. You know, or you go to someone's house and say, thank you for having me. And you just learn this habit of saying thank you, of being thankful. And that is good. It's almost formulaic. Thank you, thank you. And it changes people around you as well when they hear that. There's another way as well of having gratitude. And it's this. Number three, learn the art of gratitude. Learn the art. There's a science to it, which is you get something, you say thank you, but there's also an art form to gratitude. It's more than just saying thank you, but it's about learning about that person if it's with a person. It's about discovering what they're into, discovering their heart. It's about timing. It's about all these things that you do with art. It's about creativity and learning how you can say thank you to someone. There's power in that. Sometimes it's nice to get a nice email that says thank you, Some, but often handwritten note has power in it. Or someone giving you something, oh, I was in the shop and I thought of you. I think, wow, you were thinking of me. You know, God does that all the time. You know, I was doing this and I thought of you. God is always thinking about his children. There's an art form to gratitude. Constantly remain grateful. Constantly um, reject bitterness. Reject cynicism. It will do you no good. There's nothing prophetic about judging. But there's everything prophetic about being grateful and strengthening and encouraging. It will do you good. You know, my, my son Jude and, and my daughter Elio, we were um, outside the day before yesterday. And it was a beautiful day. And they were playing with water and sand. And, and I just looked out over the, the view. And I wasn't really thinking anything. I was looking out. And my daughter said, Dad, what are you looking at? I said, oh, nothing. She went, no, what are you looking at? I said, oh, the sky. And then my son Jude just looked up and went, oh. And just spent the next three minutes going, wow, like this. And I thought, you know what? He's not wrong. I, I told this to people at work on Friday. And then one of them went, yeah, but it is amazing, isn't it? And we all just looked at the sky for ages thinking, wow. And I thought, God, you are amazing. Thank you for the sky. How blue is that? It's amazing. You know, there's nothing, it's something innocent about it, but there's power in that, in being so thankful. And it will just, it will just do you so good. It will bring life into you. Jesus is at the source of it all. I believe Jesus wants to breathe life on his church. 
not just us as a church, but the, the whole church. I believe there is a fresh breath of God that's coming. And I believe some of us are going to experience it in this moment now.